Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The following podcast contains subject matter that may not be suitable for all listeners. Hi. Good Jolly? Good morning. Hi, I'm Billy. Hi. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Alexis, nice, nice to, to meet, meet you. you. How are you? I'm good. Earlier this year, Alexis and I visited a strip mall just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. We came to meet a woman named Jolly, who was hired by the Word family to liquidate their Atlanta property. Jolly was going through, cataloging and pricing all of the Ward's belongings in preparation for an estate sale. What was their house like when you got there? It was three levels, a full basement, and um, I think there were four bathrooms. It was just a beautiful house. And then uh, upstairs, there were wall-to-wall closets with glass doors. Everything was so feminine, just just a woman's dream. But anyway, I have workers that come in and help me price. Then when the sale is over, I have another crew that comes in and cleans out the house. Now, was there a point where you were going through the closets? What were you finding in Diane's closets? One of the closets, I'm very detailed, so I get up on a ladder and I'm looking on the top shelf and it looks like one of the workers had dumped the contents of a purse. And I found a business card and a notebook, and it had her name on it, Diane Ward. And then I found her driver's license. And then deep down behind the driver's license and the business card was a note. I thought it was a suicide note. I believe that they argued, and he picked up a gun, and he shot her. Not a single person that knows my family thinks that he did this. He was a very smart person, but the other side was the nasty side. This is not a murder. This is the opposite of a murder scene. If this was some tragic accident, wouldn't he have tried to look for a pulse? 
There is not physical evidence. And you have a trail of people who didn't do their goddamn job. There's a verdict in the murder trial of Isleworth millionaire Bob Ward. Do you think this was an accident or a murder? I, I really can't say. From Discovery Plus, ID, and Joke Productions, this is Unraveled, Mystery at the Mansion, a nine-part podcast that takes a deep dive into the story of a family torn apart. A trial turned into a media spectacle and investigates the mystery. What really happened to Diane Ward? I'm in the bathroom going through some things. That's Diane's sister, Paula. And all of a sudden, one of the women who works for Jolly comes up to me and she says, Paula, Jolly thinks you might want to see this. And it's on my sister's stationery. Her handwriting was very distinctive. It's like, if you saw it once, you were going to recognize it every time you saw her handwriting. I immediately screamed for Mallory and Sarah. I said, come here right now. So they come running down the hall. I'm like, read this. And we're like in shock. What did the note say? Dear Mallory and Sarah, please know how much I love you. I don't know how it happened for me to end up like this. I want you to have wonderful lives and know that I will always be watching over you both. Take care of daddy. I love you more than you will ever know. It was her saying goodbye. It said, I'm sorry. I don't know how it ended up for me to be like this. It told us to take care of the dogs, which is still like my mom. And it said to look after your dad. And it said, they'll need you. You know, you always hear about those people, like the state sale people going like a declaration of independence, like a original Monet or something, you know. This note, this is our fucking declaration of independence. It's not worth anything monetarily, but this is worth everything to us. I'd been so angry at my mom for so long. And then this was the first um, time that I had the chance to tell myself that she'd been suffering and that she just didn't want to be here anymore. It was hard to read, but also a relief. Like a breath of fresh air because we weren't crazy. We knew that this had happened and that she had gotten to that point. And also it was, it was a connection to her. Even though she obviously loved her daughters and loves her husband, for her, the pain was too severe and she couldn't go on. It's like how bad it must have been for her to get to that point and how that must have been her life for those months and how it just culminated on that night. Beyond the sentimental and cathartic experience of finding it, the family immediately recognizes the note's importance. In their minds, it could be the evidence that proves Bob's innocence. Did finding the suicide note give you hope? Yeah, I mean, how could it not give you hope? Because you say this is what we've been waiting for. 
Immediately, they said, what do we do? I said, I'm calling the lawyer. I called him right now. I said, we found this note, and I read it to him. He says, get it to my office tomorrow. He said, um, I'm going to put it in an evidence bag. He says, do you have anything else that has your sister's handwriting? I said, we have tons of stuff, because she kept files of everything that they did, and Sarah brought that over the next day. Diane's note isn't dated. But based on the items it was found with, the family believes it appears to have been written sometime in the summer of 2009, a few months before her death. But regardless of the timing, both Mallory and Sarah are convinced that what the note demonstrates is clear. Their mom had intended to take her own life the night of September 21st, and the amount of pills she took was no accident. At the time, we're like, oh, she was forgetful. She was just overtaking it. But now you're like, oh, no, she she probably was trying to kill herself. As a juror now, if you had that suicide note and you knew that she had enough drugs in her system that night to kill herself, what do you think happened that night? How do you blame that man for killing her? How do you do that? It's clear she committed suicide. It's clear she had been planning on committing suicide for a long time and that she was struggling. Attorneys for both sides put the note before the judge and argued for and against its importance and its validity. The prosecution tried to say, oh, well, you know, they wrote it. It's her handwriting. I mean, I sent it to all my friends. I'm like, you've seen this this handwriting for its mom. And they all knew. We pulled the court documents, and while the prosecution did question the note's authenticity, they stopped at explicitly accusing anyone in the Ward family of forging the suicide note. It was analyzed. It didn't, it didn't matter. I don't, I don't need an analyst to tell me that my mom wrote this. How dare that fucking prosecutor try to tell me that this wasn't my mom's fucking handwriting. If we were going to forge a letter, first of all, it would have a date on it. What did the judge rule? ultimately, and how did you react? The judge did not care at all. It wasn't used as evidence for anything, which is really tragic. It, it really and truly is. The judge refuses to take it into consideration. She says that even if it was Diane's note, the fact that it was written months earlier had no bearing on her state of mind the night she died. In other words, even if she was looking to take her own life a few months before, that doesn't mean she was looking to take her own life that night. For her part, Prosecutor Robin Wilkinson downplays the note's significance. They went through all the hoops of a handwriting expert, but we don't know when that letter was written. When I read it, it doesn't specifically say I'm going to kill myself. It's in the Atlanta house. It's not in the Orlando house. As far as the legality of it being entered in as evidence, I hear you. But do you think, does it speak to, to something more going on in her head? It talks about, I hate that it comes to this, take care of your daddy. There's never words, I'm leaving this world, I'm killing myself, there's none of that. So there's an interpretation based on the words alone. So you have to go back to what was Diane like that day? According to Mallory, she's fine. According to her friend, she's fine. So, I just don't see it playing a part. So, I struggle to understand 
if you were on the fence about whether or not Diane had suicidal ideations, I mean, this kind of pushes you in the direction where, yeah, she did. Because that note, while not explicit, it certainly infers. That definitely sounds like somebody who is leaving. With her saying goodbye, take care of daddy and the dogs. They'll yeah. need you. Yeah. Like, that is a goodbye note. Yeah, I mean, I don't see how anybody can look at that note and, and think it's anything but that. And the fact that it's not like Mallory and Sarah found it themselves yeah. and showed up with it one day that was conveniently timed to get their dad off. It was found by an unbiased third party mm-hmm. who witnessed their reaction to the discovery of the note. Yeah. By the prosecution saying like, oh, they planted that. Well, yeah, and if you're gonna plant a note, you're gonna date it. Yeah. To, to help your dad's case. And you're gonna sign way. it too. You're gonna sign it and you're gonna not, it was discovered by somebody weeks into, uh, you know, taking an estate stock sale. of this house. Obviously there was something going on with her. She was drinking alcohol, she had pills. Everything is adding up to that. The validity, meaning, and timing of the note would end up being a moot point. Because as we mentioned, it was never introduced. And as the end of Bob's trial neared, the question became, would he take the stand and finally tell the jury his version of events? The trial of Bob Ward took place over nine days in September of 2011, exactly two years after Diane Ward's death. As we covered in episode three, the courtroom was a media circus from the start. It was the irresistible story of a rich real estate developer accused of murdering his wife, with the added twist that his daughters and even his sister-in-law were on his side. And of course, there was the sensational 911 call. I just shot my wife. As the trial headed towards its conclusion, a lot of people were speculating. Would Bob Ward take the stand? It's his right not to testify. That's Prosecutor Robin Wilkinson again. I believe the defense was worried that there was going to be an outburst. Bob had several outbursts during this trial. There was an outburst when his daughter testified. He tried to do some speaking during one of the financial experts. Bob was hard to control. I was going to cross-examine him because we knew I probably got under his skin more. But by the end of the trial, he didn't take the stand. Defense attorney Jim Fellman reminded us that's not atypical. Those are some of the hardest decisions to make because even if you have a client who has a good story to tell, They may not be very good at telling it. When you put the defendant on the stand, in some ways it's like almost nothing else matters that has gone before or that will go after. What matters is, do they believe him or her? The defense presented their closing arguments on September 22, 2011. Bob's lawyer, Kurt Kirkconnell, claimed that the state failed to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Bob intentionally shot his wife. 
He rehashed the defense's theory of a suicidal Diane and a struggle over the gun. He pointed to the doubts about the physical evidence, and then he rested their case. It was now up to the jury to decide Bob's fate. Here's prosecutor Robin Wilkinson again. How did you feel when the jury left to deliberate? How strongly were you feeling or how confident? You believe in your case? You believe in the evidence? I believed it was fairly strong based on the evidence that we had. And then the 911 call, Bob's own words. Very first thing he says, I just shot my wife. Well, the stress was more, obviously, for Bob. You're putting your life in the hands of these people that really you have no idea what their bias is. And you're trusting the jury to be somewhat knowledgeable to understand the evidence that's against you. The jury deliberated for 12 hours, spread out over two full days. Mallory, Sarah, and Paula were in and out of the courtroom throughout the process. What was it like to wait for the verdict? I remember I asked Kirk. Kirk was Bob's defense attorney. I said, what happens? What, walk me through what happens. It's like if he's found not guilty, he leaves immediately. If he's found guilty, he's put in handcuffs and taken away immediately. You sit there and you wait. And then you go home and you go to sleep and you, you wait. And then you get dressed the next day and you go back to the court and you wait. I think I paced around, there's like an elevator bank like in the middle of the floor. And so it's almost just like a circle that you can make. I probably walked like 17 of those circles. And I was like wearing a hole into the floor. If you convict somebody, it has to be without a shadow of a doubt. And I can tell you that I actually was feeling really good about it. I'm thinking, there's no way he's going to be found guilty. And then we had been told we got a verdict and to come in to the courtroom. And, and then once the jury was coming in, I just remember sitting there with him. And then they read the verdict. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty of second-degree murder as charged. We, the jury, find that during the commission of this crime, the defendant did actually discharge a firearm, resulting in the death of Diane So say we all, this 24th day of September. Oh my God, it was horrible. It was just awful. Mallory is hysterical. How fucking dare you? How do you do that? There is not physical evidence. You saw what happened and you decided to fit the narrative that you wanted. And that pisses me off so much. Because how dare you look at what happened and still say that he did it? You can't, you can't! Nothing, no puzzle pieces fit. They don't. Sorry, I'm sorry. When you watch the video of the verdict, Bob Ward sits there and listens stoically while the judgment is read. His lawyer shuffles uncomfortably in his chair. Besides the procedural utterings of the judge, the room is silent, save for the muffled sobbing of Bob's family coming from the back of the room. It's certainly okay to have emotions, but it's not going to be acceptable in the courtroom to act on those or have any outburst. Here's Sarah again. What were your first thoughts when you heard guilty? 
I wanted to just throw up. Even though I knew that's what it was going to be, I knew it was going to be guilty. Why'd you know it was going to be guilty? I watched and studied everyone's face in that courtroom. And even when it was clear that there was reasonable doubt, which is all you need, I could tell that it didn't matter, that it was a guy whose wife died. There were only two people in the room. They had money. Why would she want to kill herself? He had to have done it. And even if he didn't, we don't care. I never once thought when the defense rested that he was coming home. Prosecutor Robin Wilkinson remembers the moment differently. So how do you feel ultimately when the verdict does come back? Walk me through those moments. When the jury walked in, I pretty much knew he was getting convicted. Years of experience, there's just a certain way a jury looks. They won't look at the defendant. There's usually at least one person on the jury who's trying to make eye contact with the state. But you wait till you hear the words. You know, it was a long, hard-fought battle. Justice was done. I remember after he was convicted, Bob's bodyguard was trying to get the daughters out. And Mallory, she yelled back at me, what good is this going to do? What is the justification for doing it? Is to, to this day, what, I mean, I understand that, like, oh, well, we think a crime was committed and someone should pay for it. But you don't give a shit about my mother. You couldn't tell me the day that she was born. You could not tell me her middle name. You can't tell me one fucking goddamn thing about my mother. I think the way the family looked at the case, I felt Diane Ward was overlooked. I felt the jury's verdict, Diane Ward was vindicated. It was a tragic accident. That's what my sister's death was. As horrible as it is, as much as I miss her, I never ever thought that Bob was guilty. Bob would never do anything to hurt Diane, and he wouldn't, he adored her. And looking back on it now, it just makes me so sad. I remember he's put in handcuffs and taken away immediately. He can't even hug you, can't, he barely looks at you. That's what you have to live through. The hardest thing was seeing him take off his wedding ring because after mom died, he had never taken it off. And seeing him, he had emptied his pockets and taken off his belt, and I watched that, but him taking off his wedding ring was the hardest thing I've ever seen because it was just, it made it so final. Not only was she gone, but now my dad was gone and I was a kid and I had no parents. Now I feel like an orphan. We get in the elevator and I'm losing it, and we get in the car and they just, shuttle us away and there was this there was this picture that my dad had sitting in the house and it was this picture of me as a baby well, my mom like the age I'm at right now it was this perfect picture of the two of us and I walked into the house and I picked up that frame and I took it and I slammed it on the ground and it just shattered and I went into my bedroom and I don't think I came out for like three days we were all just out of our minds. Almost four months after the trial, Bob Ward's daughters returned to court for the sentencing hearing. 
their father faces a maximum life sentence for second-degree murder. I will always fight for him. His innocence breaks my heart to see him behind bars. The judge makes her decision and sentences Bob to 30 years. Bob's daughter Sarah was expecting worse, and she's actually motivated by what she sees. It's a tiny bit of leniency granted by the judge. She only gave him 30 years, and she could have given him life or something insane. And I don't know, it just, I saw this change in her, and especially after Mallory testified. It's like, like she started to see that this wasn't right and that something had happened that wasn't what was being presented. So take that with what you will. I don't know what that means, but I saw a change in her at the sentencing hearing. But for him to get 30 years, yeah, that's tough. I mean, he was old. And he didn't do anything wrong. And he couldn't just sit in prison for the rest of his life. And he's always been a fighter, especially when it's his freedom. There was never a choice to not appeal because that's giving up. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. I'm very lucky to have a close relationship with my amazing mom, and I'm doubly lucky to be friends with some amazing moms. The thing is, this means that every year, right around this time, I get those panicked phone calls asking for Mother's Day gift recommendations from, obviously, their partners. So I was excited to learn about StoryWorth just in time for Mother's Day 2024. StoryWorth is an interactive way to preserve your loved one's stories for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question like, what do people get wrong about you? Or what's the most incredible trip you've ever been on? 
All your loved one needs to do is respond to that email with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. StoryWorth will send you a copy of your loved one's response, and after a year, StoryWorth compiles the stories and some photographs into a beautiful hardcover book that will last for generations. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. The moms in my life are big-hearted, hilarious, and they're all super storytellers, so they're going to love StoryWorth. I just know it. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash unraveled. That's storyworth.com slash unraveled to save $10 on your first purchase. In December of 2011, the sensational murder case of Bob Ward had finally come to a close. A jury had convicted him of the second-degree murder of his wife, Diane, and he was remanded to prison to serve out a 30-year term. But while the public may have moved on from the case, Bob's sister-in-law, Paula, along with his daughters, Sarah and Mallory, hadn't wavered in their support. Firmly convinced of their father's innocence, they turned to attorney Jim Fellman to file an appeal. When was the first time you became aware of the case? Well, I didn't know about the case as it was uh, being prosecuted. It was a pretty big media case here in Orlando, but I was over in Tampa Bay, and I got a call about being involved in representing Mr. Ward and his appeal after the trial. Whenever I get into a case, the first thing I do is I get and read the transcript of the trial and I'm looking for any good issues on appeal. When you read the transcripts, were there any obvious issues to you at that time? In this case, when I read the transcript, I was struck by the fact that the state, to my eye, never gave any cogent explanation of what they claimed actually happened. It left me completely unconvinced that Mr. Ward's guilt had been proven. So that was the first thing that I saw, but as I was looking at it, I was also struck by the array of errors that I felt were present in the trial. And they ranged from what I would consider to be prosecutorial misconduct, asking questions you know you're not supposed to ask, getting testimony blurted out that you know is not appropriate. There were evidentiary errors made by the court. So not only did you have a case where factually it wasn't at all clear that this man was guilty, and then you couple that with just an avalanche of impropriety and error. I was concerned that we may have imprisoned an innocent person. Adding fuel to the Ward family's appeal and ammunition for Jim Fellman's case is an appearance in the media from a juror named Pedro Gonzalez. Mr. Gonzalez told an Orlando paper that he was torn about the verdict, but that when he and other jurors handled the gun, it helped him make up his mind. Basically what he said, he was torn, but the gun helped him put things together. So what's your interpretation of that, how that unfolded? Well, I remember reading about that in the paper. I think the concern is the jurors would start trying to reenact the, 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 the crime scene using the gun. They could be misled in a certain sense and that they're really supposed to let the, the evidence be presented to them 
and that they're supposed to discuss the evidence, not sort of recreate it or go to the scene or, or try to do things on their own. And I think that was the fear. Armed with what they see as serious improprieties, Bob's family takes their case to the appeals court. You haven't lived till you've gone through the appeal process. It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. You go to the courtroom, and there's three judges that decide whether you can even get a new trial. Okay, there's one judge there. I swear to God, this woman was like deer in the headlights. I think she came from traffic court. There was another judge there. Immediately, you could tell he hated Bob. And then there was one judge that he was kind of mediocre. We kind of felt, oh, okay, maybe this guy is okay. So what happens is the first side that goes, each side gets 15 minutes. Okay, the defense presents their side, 15 minutes. You have an opportunity to, to make your case and answer their questions, and, and that's what happened. I remember feeling disappointed after the argument. You never really know what they're gonna do, but I, I remember feeling that they had not you know, asked the state as many difficult questions as I felt they could have. And, um, you know, sure enough, I didn't prevail. It's yet another crushing blow for the Ward family, but they remain undeterred. In 2016, five years into Bob's prison sentence, they appeal his conviction yet again, this time with a different approach. Some other lawyers picked up the case and they filed under what's called Rule 3.850 in Florida. It's the way in which you raise issues of ineffective assistance of counsel. Mr. Ward had hired his lawyers, but he, there were things that his lawyers just failed to object to. They did their best, but it was a complicated case, a lot of moving parts. And in particular, there were just a lot of improper arguments that were made. This time, the appellate lawyers focus on one particular point. During Bob's trial, the prosecution repeatedly questioned Bob's behavior in the aftermath of Diane's death. They noted that Bob remained quiet in the back of the police car, that he didn't protest or comment at all on what happened. To the defense attorneys, this is a clear violation of Bob's right to remain silent. If you really step back and think about it, what they're really criticizing him for is, well, why weren't you talking about your innocence in that car? Why weren't you saying, oh my God, I can't believe Diane shot herself. I can't believe that Diane did this, Diane that. And he didn't say those things, and the absence of him saying those things is used by the state to argue, well, he must be guilty. And that's a comment on his silence. And those arguments were not appropriate. The trial court, different judge, looked at this record and agreed that, that really his lawyer should have objected to these comments on his right to remain silent and that all other things being equal, you can't have confidence that the jury reached the right verdict in light of those errors. The judge concludes that Bob's original lawyer, the now deceased Kirk Kirkconnell, should have objected to this glaring impropriety and that incredibly, the murder trial of Bob Ward must be held all over again. Here's Prosecutor Robin Wilkinson. How did you feel in 2016 when his conviction was overturned? Frustrated. I mean, he lost his first appeal. I read the opinion then. I read the opinion just recently. It was pretty much since Kirk was not alive to testify to his thinking behind what he did or didn't do. 
was almost like, okay, Kirk's dead, so we have a new trial. For Bob Ward and his family, the good news didn't end there. In 2017, after more than six years in prison, the court orders Bob Ward is to be released on bond. Here's Mallory and Sarah again. When you actually walked out of prison, what was that like? It was just this whole thing of being like, holy shit, like everything we've done is actually gonna pay off. We like couldn't believe it. None of us could believe it. We're like all in the car, we had like gone and we grab him and we're like, all right, get in, get in, get in, because like, he's like literally like sitting outside like with like a giant trash bag of all of his shit. And we get him, we got like a hotel. We, we put him in the car and we all just like, it almost felt like we had just like robbed a bank. And like, you're just like, holy shit. Holy shit, like, you're out. It felt amazing. It felt like a weight was lifted. I remember I was in Minnesota with my aunt's family, like her husband's family. And I was like, oh my God, he's gonna come home. It was nice to think for maybe one minute it would be over. But of course, it wasn't. Next time on Unraveled, Mystery at the Mansion. When they finally let him out, and I was so excited because he's going to come home, we can take care of him as long as he's out. I, I don't care. Former Isleworth millionaire convicted of killing his wife is getting a new trial. Do you feel that there's been a vendetta against your family? Yeah, kind of, in a way. It only takes one person to poison a jury. And if somebody's stuck on I'm not sure, you're not gonna get that guilty verdict. I remember like sitting with my dad. I literally sat in my dad's lap and cried for like 30 minutes because I just didn't know what was gonna happen. Unraveled is produced by Joke Productions for ID. The executive producers of this podcast are Joke Finciun, Biagio Messina, and Jeff Koontz, along with myself, Alexis Linkletter, and Billy Jensen. Executive producer for ID is Tim Bainey. Additional producing and writing by Mike Gattinella. Our editor is Corey Nye. The music and score that you have heard in this podcast is by Biagi Messina, Dave Pellman, and the Alibi and Nimble Libraries. Archival clips courtesy of CNN. Make sure to check for episode eight next week on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps a lot when you subscribe, rate, and review the podcasts that you enjoy listening to. Thank you for listening and for your support. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.